0: Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. So, we are uh, on, a, on uh, the third of a four-part mini series. On Israel and uh, I I just want to say that some of us uh, some of you are like me you're kind of news junkies you know you're looking at the news every day and following things very carefully others of us aren't okay and um, so if you're wondering today you know why should I why is this stuff important okay I want you to know That God has seen the end of the movie the end of the movie of human history okay not only has he seen it he's produced it and he directs it okay and the end of the movie for God's people is awesome okay and here's something else you need to know is that there is also a movie of your life, okay? Each of us have a movie of our life, and uh, there are times, there are scenes in our movie, uh, I know there are scenes in my movie that I haven't particularly enjoyed, okay? Right now we have a daughter that's going through a a divorce. It's it's a rough, uh, it's a rough uh, scene in her movie but here's the deal God has said we, we have seen the end of the movie of my daughter's life and it is glorious if she places her trust and faith in Jesus the end of the movie is glorious and that is true on a macro scale The history of the world, it is true on a micro scale, the history of your life, okay? And uh, the God who uh, put the rings around Saturn is very equipped to keep a detailed movie of every single person's life on planet Earth. And in fact, he has said, my thoughts of you individually are like the sands of the seashore. That's how much God cares about you. Okay? So um, we are seeing here, uh, we've got the history of planet Earth, we believe is, you know, maybe 90% uh, completed, but God has shown us the end of the movie, and He's shown us some key scenes in order to give us hope, to fill us with hope. Because if you're like me, a lot of times you read the newspaper, you you know, you'll see things online and you'll see, you can think, oh, the whole place is falling apart, okay? No, it isn't. No, it isn't. God's got good things ahead for his people, and I hope you see that today. Lord, we just uh, pray now, God, that you would fill us with your wisdom as we delve into the word of God Um all scripture is inspired of God. It's God-breathed. It is for our, our our, good, Lord, and for your glory. And so I pray, Father, that it would nurture our souls and our hearts today to see that you are in charge of the movie of history. You're in charge of the movie of our own personal history, and you are bringing things to pass so that... Your people have a wonderful future. We thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Nothing happens by chance. Remember that. God reigns over history. The things we are seeing right now were prophesied thousands of years ago. God has ordained that a series of bad actors will stir up a lot of evil at the end of the age, but it will ultimately serve to reveal the truth that mankind is destitute apart from God. We need God. Every moment of every day, we need God. Now more than ever, we need God. The Bible teaches that one of those bad actors that will rise to prominence at the end of the age is the nation of Iran found very clearly in scripture. The mullahs, the ayatollahs, they are the mastermind behind the Hamas-Israel war, which is only the first step in their master plan to come against God's people, the Jewish people. No one disputes the fact that uh, Iran's first goal was achieved. Surprise Israel, afflict devastating losses. Last October 7th, at least 1,200 Jewish people were killed, 240 captured, the largest one-day death toll in Israeli history, the largest number of Jews massacred since the Holocaust. Israel's vaunted Mossad intelligence service is rated the best in the world by many experts. They're not typically caught napping, which led many to speculate that Israel had deliberately allowed this attack to occur. Not true. Those allegations have infuriated the Israelis like Amir Sarfati of Behold Israel Ministries. Amir flatly denies that Israel would somehow allow allow the slaughter of their own people in order to strike Hamas. Amir argues that Mossad had at least a 12-hour advance warning that Hamas was stirring up trouble, but they insisted it was all a clever deception. Clearly, a Mossad was fooled. Iran scored a major victory. The second goal set by Iran was to bog down the Israeli army in tunnel warfare. Again, they've been very successful at that. Underneath Gaza are at least 300 miles of tunnels many of them underneath hospitals and schools and mosques. Experts argue that a bog down of the Israeli army was part of Iran's strategy to give time for public opinion all over the world to turn against Israel. And have we seen that? Again, they have been successful at stirring up a massive wave of anti-semitism not seen since the Holocaust. The third goal in Iran's master plan, not yet realized, is to unleash Hezbollah. At least hundred and fifty thousand rockets are pointed at Israel just across the northern border in Lebanon. If they're all fired at once it would overwhelm Israel's Iron Dome. Iran's goal here, not necessarily defeat Israel, but simply weaken her. And then the fourth goal, that is certainly part of the calculus for Iran, is to gain nuclear capability. Right now, Iran has acknowledged it has 60 pounds of uranium that's been enriched to 60% purity, just below the level that would be needed for a nuclear bomb. They also have 500 pounds enriched to 20%. Israel's Mossad estimates the Iranians are closer to creating a bomb than they ever have been in the past. Within a time span of less than a month, they could accumulate enough enriched uranium for one nuclear weapon. Right now, Iran has accomplished its first two objectives. The jury's out on the last two. Prophecy experts are clearly monitoring these events, and you know what? They're keeping their Bible wide open. The consensus at present is that what we have seen thus far is not the Gog-Magog war prophesied in Ezekiel 38. But I do believe it's a precursor. God is arranging the table. Here's why I say that. Ezekiel 38 predicts a new axis of evil that will form at the end of the age. Bible scholars debate whether this will be before or after the rapture. I don't think we can definitively say that one way or the other. What we can confidently say is that the Bible answers four key questions about this upcoming war. And the first one is this, who are the attackers? Now I want you to notice that Ezekiel 38 obviously follows Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37 is the dry bones prophecy. The skeleton of Israel is coming back together, okay? And God is breathing life into that skeleton. So Israel had to be back in their land, had to be a nation in order, for Ezekiel 38 to take place. Now Ezekiel 38, one says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I am against you, O Gog. Put hooks in your jaws, bring you out Uh, With your whole army, your horses, your horsemen fully armed, and a great horde with large and small shields, all of them brandishing their swords. I always think if Ezekiel had a vision of modern warfare and he's trying to put it in terms that his people would understand, you know, I mean, what if you saw a tank, okay? (laughs) You're trying to, boy, there's lots of shields around that, okay? It says this in the word, Persia, Cush, and Put will be with them, all with shields and helmets, also Gomer with all its troops, and Beth Togarma from the far north with all its troops, the many nations with you. Now, who is this? Gog is a title, like president. So President Gog is the head of Magog. That's the region around the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, modern-day Russia. Russia will lead this unholy coalition. We're told three times, verse 6, verse 15, and in chapter 39, verse 2, that the army will come out of the far north. So you run a line straight north out of Jerusalem, and you're going to run smack dab into Moscow. Okay? Okay. Joining Russia will be Meshek and Tubal, which is present-day Turkey, along with the former Soviet republics, Kazakhstan, the other Stans. This alliance will also include Persia. Iran was called Persia until 1935. And Kush, which is modern-day Sudan, and Put, which is modern-day Libya. Verse 4 tells us, that they will come like a great horde, and they will surround Israel, and they will threaten to destroy it. The three major powers who will lead this coalition are Russia, Iran, and Turkey, which have never been allies in the past, but they are now. At the end of the age, the Bible says they will come together for the first time united in their hatred of the Jews and the nation of Israel. Fascinating to watch this unfold. Last November 9th, Putin of Russia joined leaders from Turkey and Iran and they met in Kazakhstan. Friends, the chessboard is being arranged and make no mistake about it, God is the arranger. Amen. This brings us to the second question. When will they attack? Verse 8 After many days, you will be called to arms. In future years, you will invade a land that has recovered from war, whose people were gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate, and they were brought out from the nations. Now all of them live in in safety. Israel has fought many wars in the short time it has been a nation. They fought their war of independence, 1948. Then another war against Egypt, 1956. Then they faced off against Egypt, Jordan, and Syria, in 1967. Then in 1973, Egypt and Syria attacked Israel in the Yom Kippur War. This was followed by the Lebanon War of 1982 and several Arab uprisings called intifadas. In recent years, Israel has fought several wars against Hamas and Hezbollah, culminating in the present war against Hamas, which started on October 7th. And yet, despite all of these wars, here's what's amazing. Israel is stronger than it's ever been. Its army is rated among the top 10 in the world. This is a country with no more than 10 million people. Some place it as high as fourth after the US, Russia, and China. And they're one of nine nations known to possess nuclear weapons. At the same time, the Jewish people have returned to Israel in the millions. When they declared independence in 1948, there was only 600,000 Jews in the entire land of Israel. Today, that number is seven million. And it's growing fast. In fact, the pro-Palestinian protests across America will lead to a fresh wave of Jews returning to Israel. Right now, there's two million Jews in New York City. Imagine that, two million Jews. More Jews in New York City than in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. And yet New York City, if you've been watching the news, you know that is the focal point of anti-Semitic rallies. So if you were there on New Year's Eve and you're watching stuff, what are they worried about, the cops? They're all worried about these anti-Semitic rallies. You got anti-Semitic rallies, you got two million Jews in the same city. I recently saw an interview with a Jew from Brooklyn. He was assaulted by thugs. He's thinking seriously. He said, for the first time, I'm thinking seriously about moving to Israel. And here are many more like him. Verse 11 describes Israel as a nation of unwalled villages, a peaceful, unsuspecting people, all of them living without walls, without gates and bars. Inside Israel. The Jewish people live in a greater security today than they ever have in history. The prophet Daniel predicts that a great European leader is going to emerge at the end of the age. We know him as the Antichrist. Remember that Europe is the heart of the old Roman Empire. Daniel 9.27 says he will confirm a covenant with many, with the Jews, for one seven, seven years, in the middle of the seven, three and a half year point, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Jesus prophesied this in Matthew twenty four fifteen, Until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. The Antichrist is going down. Some Bible scholars argue that Israel will live in even greater security in those first few years after Antichrist signs a treaty guaranteeing their protection. Therefore, this would be, these people argue, the most likely time when the Gog-Magog war would occur. I don't think that's necessary. The most common thing we hear when we lead tours to Israel, everyone comments on this, is how safe it is. Jerusalem is far safer than any American city. I don't see any reason the Gog-Magog war couldn't happen in the very near future, either before or after the rapture. Now, Tim LaHaye in the Left Behind series puts the Gog-Magog war right before the rapture. He also pictures great spiritual awakening right before the rapture, and I like that because I wanna see my friends and family come to Jesus. But there's no, it's not clearly stated that that will occur in the scripture. In fact, it's more common for prophecy experts to place the Gog-Magog war during the first half of the seven-year tribulation period. Now next week, what we're gonna do, we'll end this mini-series. We will be taking a close look at why we believe the rapture will occur before the seven years of tribulation and not after. I've never done a sermon on this. Simply comparing the pre-trib view with the post-trib view. I'm gonna do that next Sunday. But regardless of your view on the rapture, the Bible clearly teaches the Gog-Magog war will occur when the Jewish people have been regathered back to the land of Israel, and when they're living in peace and security. If Ezekiel was given a vision of what the nation of Israel looks like today, can you imagine what he would have seen? A bustling, prosperous nation, a world leader in technology and agriculture and finance. Do you know that Israeli cows produce 70, uh, they produce more milk than any cows on the rest of the planet. American cows are second. They produce about 70% of the milk that Israeli cows produce, okay? I mean, you just think, there's all kinds of those types of things with regard to Israel. Before COVID, uh, 2019, Israel had nearly Five million tourists visit in one year before the Hamas war last year up to October 7th they had two and a half million tourists despite having some serious enemies the nation has experienced a high degree of peace and prosperity now let's move to the third question Ezekiel 38 asks or answers why will Israel be attacked? Verse 12, describes those who attack Israel as saying, I will plunder and loot, turn my hand against the resettled ruins and the people gathered from the nations rich in livestock and goods, living at the center of the land. When Golda Meir was prime minister of Israel, she once said, Let me tell you something that we Israelis have against Moses. He took us 40 years through the desert in order to bring us to the one spot in the Middle East that has no oil. Which is true. Despite reports of shale oil deposits, Israel only produces a very small amount of oil each year. But... They have massive offshore natural gas reserves. They have a thriving high-tech sector. They have the second largest number of startup companies in the world after the U.S. Remember, this is a nation of approximately 10 million. They have the third largest number of NASDAQ-listed companies after the U.S. and China. And Israel is one of the world's three major centers for polished diamonds, alongside Belgium and India. And then the one other source unique to Israel is the Dead Sea. Besides an enormous quantity of minerals, tourists visit there from all over the world for its health benefits. Both the water and the mud are used to treat skin diseases and medical conditions. And ladies, you want your skin to feel nice and soft and pretty. Try putting Dead Sea mud on it. As it does, it does the trick. Verse 12 tells us that the attackers will be driven by their greed. They will look at Israel, they will envy its wealth, its resources, its technology. Now remember that we are living today at the dawn of the fourth industrial revolution. First revolution was steam engines, second was electricity, third was computers, and we are charging now into the age of artificial intelligence and robotics, and that is an age tailor-made for Israel to prosper. Remember, 22% of all Nobel Prize winners are Jewish, but they have only one-fifth of 1% of the world's population. That means the Jewish people, their share of winners is 100 times more than their share of the population. God says, I will bless you. That's what he told Abraham. And indeed, he has done that. Verse 12 tells us that Israel's attackers will come to plunder and loot her wealth. Verse 13 tells us that no one will come to her defense. Verse 13 says, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all her villages or her young lions, as the Hebrew word kefir means, all of... Uh, The merchants of Tarshish and her young lions will say to you, have you come to plunder? Have you gathered your hordes to loot, to carry off silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods and seize much plunder? In other words, the other nations will ask questions. They will verbally protest this invasion, but it'll be all talk, no action. So who are these nations? Sheba and Dedan both refer to people groups on the Arabian Peninsula. Now you remember when President Trump was uh, in office that Israel signed the Abraham Accords, peace treaties with the United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain, the Gulf states they call them, And recently, they've been very close to normalizing relations with Saudi Arabia. Apparently, these nations, the Gulf states, Saudi Arabia, will protest the invasion of Israel, but they'll go no further. That's also true of the merchants of Tarshish and all her young lions. The only thing scholars agree about Tarshish is that it refers to a seaport on the Mediterranean, some place it in Spain, some place it in Italy. The fact that the merchants are mentioned as well as its villages seems to point to European nations and their allies, their young lions, and many have speculated that the United States of America is one of these young lions. Now it's interesting to observe, when Israel was attacked on October 7th, immediately President Biden ordered the Gerald R. Ford carrier group to sail off the coast of Israel. Two other carrier groups soon followed. But as the Israeli forces got bogged down in the tunnels in Gaza, our president started getting cold feet. Why? It's because the Democratic Party is split right down the middle on Israel. In a poll done before the war, this is Congresswoman Tlaib, who is part of the group that is pushing the Palestinian agenda. In a poll done before the war, 49% of Democrats sympathized with the Palestinians, 38% of Democrats sympathized with the Israelis. 13% were undecided. First time in history that the Democrats favored the Palestinians more. When they did that poll 10 years ago, Democrats favored Israel by a 55-19 margin. That's how that's changing. The question is why? Why this massive change? And you have to look no further than American university campuses. They're a hotbed of anti-Semitism. And the future doesn't look good. Americans over 60 favor Israel by 46 points. Americans under 40 favor the Palestinians by two points. The Jewish people are losing favor with the youth of America. And that is true in other nations as well. Since October 7th, anti-Semitic hate crimes have increased 400%. Now, it's interesting, on the other side of the political spectrum, among Republicans, 78% favor Israel, 11% favor the Palestinians, 11% are undecided. In other words, Republicans are rock solid in their support for Israel and the Jewish people. But the Democratic base is waffling, and that's why you see President Biden waffling. According to Ezekiel 38, the Gog-Magog coalition will attack Israel to seize their wealth But anti-Semitism will play a part in this attack. Back in Ezekiel 36.3, God describes the Jewish people as ravaged and hounded from every side so that they became the object of people's malicious talk and slander. Man, did you see that during World War II? Verse 6 describes them as the scorn of the nations. No one wants them. The book of Revelation teaches that this hatred of the Jews will continue to intensify until the Antichrist is defeated in the battle of Armageddon. Make no mistake about it, the Gog-Magog coalition will be driven by both greed and hatred, but it's going down. This brings us to the fourth question Ezekiel 38 answers. And that is the question, what will happen after the attack? Verse 18 says, this is what will happen in that day. When Gog attacks the land of Israel, my hot anger, God says, will be aroused, declares the sovereign Lord. In my zeal and my fiery wrath, I declare at that time there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. God will intervene supernaturally to defeat the invaders. And he'll start off with a great earthquake. And then verse 22 says, I will execute judgment upon him the Gog-Magog coalition, with plague and bloodshed and I will pour down torrents of rain and hailstones and burning sulfur on him and all of his troops and on the many nations with him and I will show my greatness and my holiness and I will make myself known in the sight of the nations and they will know that I am the Lord." the Israeli army isn't gonna have to lift a finger. They will stand in awestruck wonder at the amazing way in which God unilaterally will supernaturally intervene to destroy the enemy armies. It will be so obvious that no rational person will be able to deny it. Ezekiel 39, 21 says, I will display my glory before the nations. A great revival will be the result. Millions around the globe will turn to Christ. This could be what is described in Revelation 7. Great revival during the first half of the tribulation period. And it will be spearheaded by 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Once God defeats the Gog-Magog coalition, Ezekiel 39.22 says, From that day forward, the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. This is certainly what the Apostle Paul is describing in Romans 11.25. Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles is brought in. And then all Israel will be saved. That's the next verse, verse 26. I close with this, Heartland family. God reigns over the nations. Things are not falling apart, they're falling into place. We know that because of what is happening in Israel. Israel is God's neon sign to the world that screams out, Jesus is coming soon. Get ready, planet Earth. Israel is God's timepiece. The Bible teaches that the Jews will return to Israel at the end of the age which they have over the last century. It teaches that Israel will become a nation again, which they did in 1948, and that God will cause the desert to blossom and the nation to prosper. I was there in 1979, and I can tell you there's a lot of difference 40 years later when we were there in 2019. You would not recognize. Israel was a third world, world nation in 1979. We traveled around in rickety old buses, You know, and it is is blossoming today. Then the Jewish people will start returning to Israel, which they have by the millions. And then the Jewish people will start turning to their Messiah, Jesus. You know what, 50 years ago, you had a hard time pointing out any Messianic Jewish leader. There just weren't any. Today we have Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, we have Dr. Michael Brown, we have Amir Sarfati, we have Sid Roth, we have Joel Rosenberg, we have Jan Markel. All Jews who are in love with Jesus and acknowledge him as their Messiah. You didn't have that 50 years ago. The Apostle Paul, he calls it a mystery. After Christ rose from the dead, the church began in Jerusalem. And one of the things that they couldn't figure out, that early church, is why the Gentiles responded more to the gospel than their own Jewish people. That was puzzling to them. So they finally called a council in Acts 15 to try to figure out what was going on. And verse 13 Of Acts 15, James, the brother of Christ, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, he stood up and he said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The word of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. And then James quotes a prophecy from Amos chapter nine, verse 11 and 12. It says this, after this, I will return and I will rebuild David's fallen tent. I'm gonna restore Israel. It's ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the remnant of men may seek the Lord as well as all the Gentiles who bear my name, that's us folks. There will be an age when God will bring the Gentiles in faith to him in massive numbers, but after that the glorious temple in Jerusalem will be rebuilt And Israel will be the centerpiece of God's millennial kingdom. And Amos gives us a beautiful prophecy of the future glory of Israel. Which tells all of us, time to get right with God. Ezekiel 38 tells us God is moving among the nations, just as he prophesied. And then in verse 23 it says, And then the nations will know that I am the Lord. Is he your Lord today? Let's pray. Our gracious God, oh, what an exciting day it is to be alive. When we can see all of these prophecies coming to pass, and it reminds us, God, that you are in charge of history from one day to the next, from the beginning of time and at Genesis 1-1 to the end of the time in Revelation 21 and 22. We thank you, God, that you reign over history. We thank you, God, that you wrote the last chapter. The last chapter not only in human history and among mankind, but the last chapter for God's people. And Lord, some of us are in a, we're in a rough chapter right now of our lives. But you have assured us in Romans 8, 28 that all things do work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Lord, that gives us the hope And the faith that we need when we go through these dark chapters of our lives to hang on because there's glory on the other side. Friends, if you have not turned to Jesus today, come to him right now. It's time. God is moving to the nations. He's arranging the chess pieces. He's bringing history to a conclusion. We don't know if it's today, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years out. Only God knows. We know we see prophecy being fulfilled and we see you at work in what was prophesied to be the end of the age, it's all we know, Lord. And so we come to you right now, and if you wanna trust in Jesus as your savior, you just say to Jesus, Lord, I want to live for you. Jesus, come into my life, cleanse me of my sin. Lord, I turn from the old life, I repent, I I choose you to embrace you, to believe in you, to follow you all the rest of my life. If that's your heart's desire today, you can just say that to the Lord. Lord, I want to be born again. I want to live for you. Oh God, I want to know that I know that I know that I'm ready to meet you when the trumpet sounds and the rapture happens. Father, I pray that all of us are ready to meet you here. And Lord, if anyone is not certain 100% that before this day ends, God, they would find their peace with you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.